The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Now it's time for our Friday Forum and one of our topics today, unexpectedly, is the possibility of uh, sorting out of the Northern Ireland Protocol. It's supposed to be imminent. Uh, this is Sinn Féin leader Mary Lou Macdonald reacting to that news this morning. We now want to see a, a speedy conclusion of matters. And uh, above all else, uh, we want to see uh, the institutions restored, government restored here in the north. Um, the bottom line is that uh, we have to ensure that the any deal uh, provides for uh, ongoing access to the European single market, no hardening of the border on the island of Ireland, and a protection of the Good Friday Agreement in all of its parts. Those are the core elements and aspects uh, that need to be protected. But uh, it seems to us that it's very much game on, and we're very heartened by that. We're very, very conscious that a deal can be done, should now be concluded speedily. We hope that that will be the case. And then it's a matter for everyone, for each of the political parties to step up get back to work and uh, deliver. And that was the Sinn Féin leader, Mary Lou MacDonald, reacting to the news that a deal may be imminent. In studio with me, Neil Richmond, Finnegal TD for Dublin Rathdown, Minister for Enterprise, Trade and Employment, uh, Kevin Doyle, who's Group Editor at Media House, the publisher of The Independent, and Louise O'Reilly, Sinn Féin TD for Dublin Finkel. Good morning and welcome to you both. And uh, Neil, you've always uh, had a great interest in Europe. So what are you hearing about all of this or are they sharing with you? They are, absolutely. Look, there's a deal on the table. There's a deal being on the table really, realistically for the last four to five weeks. It all kind of moved in ter- from the the goodwill and the improving mood music when the British government uh, agreed and started sharing data officially with the European Commission about four or five weeks ago. So since then, it's been quite clear that the British government and the European Commission can achieve a deal. Um, the issue, and this, they're, they're related, but there are two distinct aspects to it. A deal between the British government that um, can be acceptable to the Tory backbenchers or can get through Parliament, very straightforward. The Labour Party has said that they'll they'll back any deal. They're happy to... The ERG is down to a rump now, about 12 members. They're two previous most uh, eight spoken members are now the Secretary of State for Northern Ireland and the Minister of State of the Northern Irish Office who will back and try and sell this deal. The issue for the British government and then where it feels into the second issue is can it be embraced as too generous a term but can it be accepted and worked with by all the parties in Northern Ireland. Do you have any idea what the, the the compromises are, the later compromises? I mean, data sharing and so on. You would think that was a bit of a no-brainer anyway. It was a bit of a no-brainer. Indeed, it was a bit of a requirement, but it wasn't happening under previous British administrations, most importantly under the, the Johnson regime when we had David Frost, Lord Frost, the man who negotiated the deal in the room trying to ruin the deal that he negotiated himself. That changed actually under Liz Truss, to be honest, but James Cleverly and Chris Heaton-Harris from her cabinet are still in situ in their positions. They've allowed the negotiators, the officials who we don't know their names of, of course, because they're officials, they've done the real work here. Um, it, it didn't take too long to get from, you know, your green lanes and your red lanes to your approved access and goods that are going to stay in Northern Ireland. And the European Commission had made huge moves September a year ago in terms of providing legislation to ensure that medicines um, are immune to all this, but also to, to minimise the checks because the checks yeah. at the moment, Pat, they're only on about 3%. Now, our, our truckers, if they're passing through Switzerland, are well used to the idea of, you know, going through uh, with goods that are not destined for Switzerland, but that 
quickest way to Italy is across Switzerland. So they they do it, and it's it's routine. But the the Swiss are not worried about their di- their identity being diluted by the process. Uh, so, uh, Louise, that business of dilution of the identity of Northern Unionists who feel that if they're being treated in any way differently to people on the island of Britain, that's a problem. Yeah, but I think um, there'll be a bigger problem created by a failure to agree. And I think, you know, what we're looking at now is, as as Mary Lou has said, a deal that could potentially and must deliver no hard border, protect the Good Friday Agreement and retain the access to the single market. If you talk to business owners and indeed to, to unions and workers in the north, they will tell you that that is what they want, that they want that. They want that access to the, the single market yeah. and that it is beneficial for them. So I think, you know, there has to be a reality check in all of this as well. We need to look at what is working and, you know, not to interfere with that. Um, but I do think... Is you he, know, are you for, confident uh, that, that the DUP will go along with this? It looks like the ERG has been sidelined by Rishi Sunak. So those three letters are sorted, but the other three letters, the DUP, may not be. Well, I think the DUP um, are going to be under pressure from their own constituents um, to, to to get this concluded. I mean, I can tell you, nobody liked the scenes that we witnessed in, uh, in the Assembly this week where the, a recall was issued um, in order to be able to bring forward the organ donation legislation and that was effectively blocked by the DUP and you know four year old Dahi McGowan was there with his parents to watch that I don't think anybody wants to see that continuing uh, not even the most ardent DUP supporter okay. wants that Now, now Kevin uh, the, the question of the timing of all of this uh, talking to Bertie Ahern this morning he suggested that everything might not be done and dusted in terms of everything by the time the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement comes about because for the DUP, there's not much in that 25th uh, anniversary because they were against it. They walked out. Uh, and if the Assembly were to be back in the executive, they've got their man in the number two role, not in the number one role, even though they would claim that unionists uh, are still the majority in Northern Ireland. Yeah, and the DUP have what they call their seven tests for whether or not yeah. this deal will be good enough for them. But actually, the real political test is for the DUP and it's going to be fascinating to see what Geoffrey Donaldson does here because I know Pat people are bored of Brexit they've tuned out of it long ago but what the DUP decide to do over the next fortnight month will actually be fascinating because it could well define where that party goes from here and the reality is if they go against this um, they'll probably get sidelined by Rishi Sunak anyway because London is moving on Um, the City of London wants a relationship with the EU now. They need to get back, the financial districts need to get back working with Brussels and with all the other countries in Europe. So the British government's going to... So do you believe the protocol is a a stepping stone on the way to a a broader agreement on uh, trade and commerce with the EU? And and they need to get the protocol out of the way before they start the real game, which is getting the City of London and and British manufacturers on a better trading relationship with the EU? 100%. That, I think, is probably going to be the bigger picture here now in all of this. It was a terrible mistake, which John Major actually said yeah. uh, during the week. Yeah, but but there, are, there are, Christopher Haywood's quoted in, in The Independent today talking about exactly that, Pat, which is the protocol now, we've done, we spent too much time on it. Get rid of it, get it done. And I think Rishi Sunak would subscribe to that idea as well. And you're right, then now we start talking about trade. Now we start talking about financial links again and trying to tidy up the entire mess. Neil? But even beyond trade, we've already seen 
the impact on Brexit in the UK has been savage. They haven't been able to get their scientists back into Horizon funding. Really important, your scientists in Oxford and Cambridge, the people who got the first vaccine, they can't work with European partners anymore. It's starving their third level sector. Whatever, we, when we look at the economic picture, it's really, and I take no glee in this, the British economy is in a seriously bad way. There's a war in Ukraine. They need partnerships with Europe. They can't allow the DUP to block it. But ironically, Kevin, the DUP seven tests, the only way to achieve them would be for the UK to rejoin the EU. But it's now a question for the DUP. Um, are they always going to be the party that I just stops everything? I don't think that, that, that tail is big yeah. enough to wag the dog. No, no I don't think no. so. But I, I think they're, they're losing out. I mean, London is losing out to, to Paris, uh, to Dublin and to other European capitals. And I think Rishi Sunak is very, very anxious to, to, to stem the flow. There's one other subplot to the whole thing as well around the personalities of this, which a Joe Biden visit around the time of the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement has kind of been talked about quite a bit. There's a sense from Washington that they're not going to have that happen unless this is tidied up and the protocol is done. Now, the DUP don't want to see Joe Biden around the place. As far as they're concerned, he's greener than Mary no, Lou McDonald. They do want what Joe <laughs> but, Biden brings to Kevin, which is a serious amount of philanthropy mm. and financial boost for the region. Mm. Like, But what they would also like, aside from that, yeah. on the personality side, they'd like King Charles to come visit. Yeah. And the likelihood is that he may not come until this is resolved as well. To Northern Ireland, I mean. And I wonder, would there be a possibility of King Charles and Joe Biden being present at the same time. But I think what ordinary people, aside from your presidents and your kings, uh, I think what ordinary people want to see is the executive back up and running and uh, they want to see their, their politicians back at work. That's what Michelle O'Neill has been has been working for. She's First Minister designate. She wants to get back to work. She wants, wants the executive to be back to work and we don't want yeah. to see what we saw this week uh, with people blocking Dahi's law, um, which is so important. But I'm trying to get a handle not being a Northern Unionist or a Northern Nationalist. I'm living in Dublin have all my life trying to get a handle on how visceral uh, the whole thing of for DUP supporters and maybe other unions of having a nationalist as first minister you know do, do they feel it in their gut that this is unacceptable or are they getting around to normal politics and saying this is the, the way the, the dice was rolled and this so is what the, happened the, this is the result of an election it's not being imposed on anybody this was a democratically fought election result Michelle O'Neill no, is the I, first I know, minister designated no but I, I think, do you know what I mean? No, what I want do, to be straight. I think people respect guts? that. I think people respect that. This is the result of an election. Do you know, this is not something foisted mm. on them. But I think also, you know, we can't be, we can't ignore the fact that there is a cost of living crisis in the North that is being exacerbated by the fact that the executive is not up and running. So I think for an awful lot of ordinary people, you know, they're concentrating their minds on how they're going to pay their bills, how they're going to keep their houses warm. And that is their first concern. You know, they want the executive back up and running. Yeah. And Michelle is the first minister designate following yeah. a democratic election. I know, you know, real concerns about their, their own cost of living yeah. will have supersede. Real politicians have their own concerns though as well, Louise. I think it, it's quite obvious that the DUP see that as a problem and they don't really know how to do it because democratic unionist party, it's in the name, um, they don't really know how to handle the idea of having a Sinn Féin first minister. Um, probably not helped by the fact that even though the office has always been equal, but it hasn't really. You know, no, we see, Primus inter pares, and the mm. first minister was Primus yeah. in the pares of uh, deputy and uh, first minister. Yeah. You know, and, there was and, always and the someone DUP who was top fine dog. with that when it was Arlene Foster and Peter Robinson and all before, uh, and it was Martin McGuinness as, as the deputy. They were fine with the deputy having big big letters on the deputy part they're not so fine with it now in the, I in think the reverse I think when you speak to unions and I'm lucky enough that I go up in the north quite a lot a lot more I'd actually like to go up a lot more than I do you speak to unions there are a very small minority in unions who will never accept it 
regardless of democracy and election results. And unfortunately, they've been allowed to drive the agenda within unionism and loyalism over the last two years for lots of different reasons. And the DUP saw the electoral threat of the TUV and they turned into it. And we saw the scenes in Tigers Bay and everything else. But the moderate, reasonable unionist who is concerned about the cost of living crisis, who is concerned about the social deprivation in those various areas, has been sidelined. And this is the big question for the DUP. Do you look after your electorate in terms of providing for their needs? Or do you worry about what they would say, and these are their words, not mine, that they feel besieged, that they're constantly giving things away because the position they once had in the little statelet is no longer sustain you know, it's no longer realistic um, and we've come a long way, thankfully, but these are the people who oppose the Good Friday Agreement and there is a throwback that is driving an agenda that the DUP need to wrestle with. And um this is what it's going to come down to in the next couple of weeks. Can a deal be accepted by the DUP and implemented in a manner that allows the executive yeah. back up and running to serve all the people of the Well, we don't, the North? we don't know to what extent ever the thing has been done, you know, whether the T's are crossed, the I's dotted, or whether Rishi Sunak talking to people today in Northern Ireland is going to go back with a few adjustments that are required to get the thing over the line. Well, he'll have to go back and at least pretend that he has is <laughs> making a few adjustments because that's how these things work. But I think the very fact that he came to Northern Ireland today tells tells the story. To be honest. All right. Now let's move on. And you've all been mentioning the cost of living uh, crisis and the the package that's going to be revealed to us all next Tuesday. But uh, the people making the running uh, on a lot of this have been hospitality, saying that they want to hang on to the nine percent. Uh, no great sympathy for hotels in the the cities who managed to make very handsome money indeed uh, but for restaurateurs some sympathy but your party uh, I think Pierce said you won't object to it going back up um, and that, that is our position we haven't sought to have it extended um, but what we really would like to see is the research that the, the government are going to use to base their decision on because that, that will have you know we would have to look at the, the implication for jobs and I know that a very detailed research has been undertaken by the Department of Finance I would hope that that would be published because I think that would that would inform but no I mean we, we've been very clear on that we don't have a position that we favour the extension but we are willing to be persuaded if what's in the uh, what's in the, the document backs it but we need to see what's in that. We need to see that uh, that, are, that are impact. You, are you trying to have it both ways. No, not at all. No, no, yeah. not at all. Not at all. But we do need to look at the implications because that's going to examine that that research. My understanding is examines the uh, the potential implications for for jobs and indeed the future of of the yeah. some which has to be by definition almost a speculative document. You know how many cafes will go to the wall because of this? Uh, how many will just jack up their prices by a couple of percentage and it won't make too much difference whether the steak is thirty two euro or. 34 euro do you know yeah, you but this is, the, that this the is detailed numbers from uh, <laughs> Neil well the one number that we know if, if we were to extend the 9% VAT throughout the whole year that's that's cost 501 million euro so that's a big decision to be saying do we have to what is the balance if you extend that and there is very real hardship cases in a lot of hospitality and hairdressing who've been making the case loudly across the airwaves as they do and they're entitled to and it's been made in the doll by colleagues from not just my party but from opposition as well but what is being looked at at the moment is how do you how do you do it in a way or what other supports can we give to businesses? One of the big things that we had is we have the energy support scheme, but we haven't had 1.2 billion euros worth of um, funding, but we haven't had enough businesses drawing down. Is it because the forms are too long? And are all these cafes the and restaurants entitled to draw that down? They if are, they can produce their... They have to be uh, good with the revenue and all that, don't they? they? Of course, they have to be good well, with the you revenue. Know, after uh, so. two years of a pandemic and closing down, many of them won't be good with the revenue and, and they're hoping to catch up. 
uh, you know, if they're allowed to, to prosper and trade. And that's the balance. But you have to be a, a business in good standing. You know, the, the opportunities there, it's it's 40% of the cost gone up, up to €10,000 for a business. That can make a real difference. But unfortunately, an awful mm. lot of businesses aren't in a position to complete. We, we had a, a, a restaurateur yesterday talking about they got the, the, mm. the deal all right, but it was instead of going into them to help them with their cash flow, and they've always been on time with their PAYE and uh, PRSI payments, it was taken off the money that would be coming due at the end of the month to the revenue. So they never saw the cash. Mm. It just mm. was deducted and it, it therefore or didn't help their cash flow in that interim yeah, I do period. think it's very worrying, Pat, that there's 1.2 billion there and yes, the, the drawdown has been only in the tens of millions and I think that is that is very frustrating. I met with a number of representative bodies this week myself and you know there's a range of issues. For some it is the reference period because what they're saying is their bills had already gone up, they'd already experienced that. So the reference period and I, I welcome the fact that I know they are looking at changing the reference period. I think that should be changed but I also think the scheme needs to be extended and a very detailed look at why businesses are not because on the one hand businesses telling you that they're struggling and then on the other hand th- this is there for them and they're not accessing well, it's it so like there is people something, are entitled there is something to very wrong with tax that. credit for their rent and so few people have actually uh, claimed that too so mm-hmm. we have seen increases over the last couple of weeks in both things particularly like I get the week the TBS figures every week so we can see that people are going up because the energy bills are landing now and they have the reference period but I hate to say it, and Louise will hate me to say it but I actually fully agree with you on that point and I think yeah. everyone should agree with it because there's 1.2 billion euro allocated there there's no prizes for it not being spent yeah. we need to do it to make sure that all the businesses that were supported during Covid are still supported through these difficult mm-hmm. periods But we also need to support I think I would like to see coming from the government is something I raised with Minister Coveney when we had a discussion about the estimates a lot of businesses hospitality included use kerosene and LPG they're not on a, a metered um, gas or electricity system and that they are completely excluded. Now, I know that, that Minister Coveney had said he would look at it. I hope he yeah. does because they're completely out. There's yeah, 1.2 billion. Have mains they gas, can't even, yeah. yeah, they can't even access yeah, and, it. And also, refining the forms and stuff, like if, if small to medium enterprises have to go and put their hand in their pocket to get an accountant, mm. it may not be worth their while. So, I mean, the government mm. could go a long way to meet and particularly small to medium enterprises yeah. halfway on this yeah. one. Yeah, maybe so. yeah, all these things should not be cast in stone. They should be constantly reviewed and tweaked yeah. uh, where uh, deficits are uncovered. Um, Guard the shortages and resignations. Kevin, um, you know, we heard already this morning 100 uh, resignations rather than retirements because they just don't like it anymore. What do you, what say you? Yeah, it's a tough old job. And the figures we saw earlier in the week that there's one in four Guard stations have fewer Guardi. It's, it's kind of astonishing in a time when the country has for the last few years, COVID aside, been awash with money. Yeah, and I know recruitment was paused, but uh, it's kind of astonishing that it's dropping down um, it, fascinatingly, I was going I mean, you can be a guard at uh, 20 years of age and mm. um, it's not bad money that it's you not. start on. And, 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 and uh, if yeah, you go through the ranks without ever, with, go through uh, the, the routine without ever going up through the ranks, you can still earn reasonable money after 10 years in the guards. Yeah, and, and there was, people might assume that the drop off in numbers is oh, a lot of rural stations have been closed and, uh, you know, the, the guards are coming from the big towns. It's not, though. When you actually look through the figures, there's places like Malahide, Rat Mines, you know, big yeah. stations in Dublin and urban areas that have lost 
big numbers as well including uh, the famous Shane Ross Memorial Garda Station in Stepaside <laughs> has lost six Gardaí in the last 12 months which... As someone who lives 200 metres away from that I, I don't. I think we can mention that it's just the community's Garda Station that changed <laughs> but like Kevin rightly says that a, a quarter of the stations are understaffed but a fifth are have gone up in terms of staffing and the vast majority have maintained the same and if we look at Gar- where Garda's numbers were in 2015 they have gone up 10% the resources have been put there there was a slowdown in recruitment due to the pandemic Templemore had to pause its activities but there is ongoing discussion with the GRA AGSI all the Garda representative bodies and the communities about how we not just get more guards in but crucially more civilian staff to allow guards that are there to get out on the beat and rather being stuck behind their desks But I think you know we need to acknowledge the fact as well that Garda are not immune from uh, the cost of living crisis I, I, it was something that I hadn't seen in my, my first few years as, as an elected rep but I have had uh, Gardaí into my clinics people who were Gardaí who were fearful um, and on a notice to quit and could not find anywhere in their price range that they were going to be able to afford to rent this is a Garda who's married to a North very very traditional uh, th- this couple should be uh, in line for a mortgage but they can't save because of the, the level of rent that they're paying and they arrived into my clinic on a notice to quit now I mean you, you can't say to, to people who are working hard doing the public doing the public a service and at the end of it not have enough money to be able to save up to buy a mortgage I mean you know I, I well remember when I was younger the, the, the budgetary coverage uh, when it would, came out they were always looking at what does this mean for a nurse and a guard mm. well I'm telling you now a nurse and a guard on their incomes no matter how hard they work yeah, and how much probably, overtime uh, they do you cannot buy a house uh, the, the cost of rental is a problem because you can't save you're paying uh, big rents Kevin there was the proposal uh, some time back that banks would take account of, uh, you know, a properly recorded uh, rental payment. In Mm. other words, they look at your bank account, they see you're paying two grand a month or whatever it is. That's what you could have saved. Therefore, you've got that kind of income. Therefore, forget about the 10% Mm. deposit if you're a first time buyer. Let's go. Let's give you the money. You're a good bet. I've never understood why that hasn't. It's a few years now since I got my mortgage. I've, I've never understood why that wasn't. By the time I, I got my mortgage, I'd probably been renting for, for 12, 13 years and it counted for nothing. Obviously, I had somewhere to live, but it counted for nothing with the bank and it makes absolutely I mean, no sense. Neil, we're not talking about looking at some landlord's notebook with the mm. recorded rents. Mm. We're looking at um, payments made from bank accounts that are certifiable. Yeah, no, I fully agree. And it's the same when you, you set the, the max that can be drawn down in terms of three, ti- three and a half times of your salary as it was, bring up to four. These issues, when I was in the fina- finance committee that we had the central bank in, they said that these are things that need to be taken account in a realistic like they are in other jurisdictions. Well, you know, a, ba- yeah. a bank can look in and see that you have a, a gambling app yeah, and yeah. that you're spending two or three hundred sure. euro a month in a gambling app. So I don't see how this is And that will all show up on your bank account, Louise. Of course it will. Um, but I think, you know, the, the, the issue for, for politicians has to be one around how we can curb the escalating cost of rent. I mean, young couples cannot afford to rent and save for a deposit because the level of rent and when we look at the what the daft report we see rents going up by an average of 15%. So not alone is it tough for them now but it's actually getting harder. I mean the, the government need to extend the eviction ban and they also need to, to curb the increases in rents for the moment. Right, well that's uh, a discussion for another day but uh, my thanks uh, to, to Neil uh, to Kevin and Louise for joining us on our Friday Forum today. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk.